HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. As the news of coronavirus reverberates throughout the world, we at HRN are especially concerned about how coronavirus will impact our food system. We will use our platform to support the restaurant, agriculture, hospitality, and other food-related industries by maintaining our coverage and operations. As social distancing becomes the temporary norm, podcasts are more important than ever. There's never been a more crucial time to stay informed about the state of our food system and the way that food connects our global community. We're sharing all of our COVID-19 coverage at heritageradionetwork.org slash COVID-19. From interviews with nonprofit leaders and journalists to firsthand accounts from chefs and restaurant owners to reports on how the crisis is affecting regional farms. Our team is working remotely from all over to keep food radio alive. HRN needs your support more than ever to keep sharing essential stories and resources with our listeners. Make a donation of any amount. Visit heritageradionetwork.org donate. Welcome to Food Without Borders, a show about food, politics, and identity. I'm your host, Sari Kamen, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. In light of the novel coronavirus pandemic, Food Without Borders is airing At the Table, a special interview series with journalists, chefs, farmers, activists, and business owners navigating the impact of COVID-19 on the food and beverage industry. This series was originally recorded for MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. If you'd like to watch the online video version of these interviews, please visit www.mofad.org backslash online video series. Thank you so much for listening. Hey everyone, this is Sari, the Public Programs Manager at MOFAD. Thank you so much for tuning into At the Table, our online video series. Uh, today, I'm speaking with Jacqueline Pilati. She is the founder of Reclaim Seed NYC, and she's one of the collaborators working with the Cooperative Gardens Commission. Hi, Jacqueline. Thank you so Hi. much for joining me today. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, so I came across this new initiative, Cooperative Gardens Commission, because it was mentioned in a New York Times article that Tejal Rao wrote um, talking about how uh, 
victory gardens historically that were um, developed during World War One have kind of come back into fruition because of food supply anxieties. Um, why don't we start with you kind of telling us what, what Cooperative Gardens Commission is? What's the idea behind it? Yeah, so the Cooperative Gardens Commission is really about organizing intersectional people power to encourage people to grow their own food, to support them with educational resources. A lot of the folks, over a thousand that have signed up already uh, to be part of the program are people that are new to growing their own food. So a lot of them are looking for things like seeds, access to lumber, learning how to build raised beds, learning what kinds of things grow well in their region. So it's about trying to organize the resources with the people who need those resources um, and to get them to successfully be able to grow some of their own food to supplement their diets. A lot of people are doing that out of, you know, feeling tremendous uncertainty of where we are right now, justifiably so. And it's also about um, kind of looking and working at a larger scale. So what are some of the policy issues that are challenges for folks? You know, some people live in places where their town or their HOA doesn't allow them to grow edible food crops maybe in their front lawns or there are restrictions on plant heights of what they can grow. So we're really trying to look at it holistically and think about how can we really build a coalition of support to, um, to work and stand in solidarity with one another. Mm -hmm. And um, just to kind of explain a little bit more about the work you guys are doing, if someone reaches out and wants to grow food, but they've never done it before, how do you specifically support them and provide them resources? So we're working um, in a bunch of different working groups. So I, for example, I'm working on seed distribution and education. And so we're working to try to get seeds out to those people. So um, like what I'm doing is I'm packing up seed packs and mailing them out to people. Um, and then also we're building a, um, a digital platform that'll have a lot of resources online, videos about how to grow your own food. And a lot of that is existing out there. So some of it is just things that have been vetted and curated. Mm -hmm. um, and then some of it is, you know, new content that people within the group who are coming with tremendous expertise are, are lending to, to the public. Um, and, you know, it could be information around how to source lumber, how to build something, what kind of soil to use when the, you're starting seeds or you're filling, filling a raised bed, what kind of things would work well for apartment dwellers that maybe want to grow on a balcony or a windowsill. So, um, you know, that and then also connecting people with like experts for like technical assistance throughout the growing season. So one of the things that I'm really uh passionate about and in, in sending out seed is also teaching people how to save seed for the following season so providing education with that and kind of uh, being a point person for people throughout the growing season so that if they have questions they can always reach out and um, you know that kind of exists with different levels of expertise you know across I think we're up to like 14 or 15 different working groups um, so it's a large group of people from across the country, even internationally. We've had folks on our calls um, from South Africa, from Kenya. Um, so, you know, it's a, a beautiful testament and affirmation to, to what people power can be and how we can come together to really support one another as we're thinking about food and food security. Yeah. 
And um, to what we were talking about before we started the call, just so, um, you know, as far as like silver linings coming out of this experience, the community that's being built and the way people are, are coming together and collaborating. Um, so I mentioned that article in the New York Times and I, I read that the organization was originally called the Corona Victory Gardens, but then it was changed um, to Cooperative Gardens Commission. Can you tell us, you know, what was the reason for changing the name? Yeah, so uh, the Corona Victory Gardens name was kind of always a working uh, title, I guess. Um, and most people identify with Victory Gardens. They, they kind of have a little understanding of, of where that comes from. Mm -hmm. And knowing that that was an effort that was kind of, it happened during World War I, um, but I think there was more like visibility around the efforts that were happening in World War II to have Americans grow their own food um, in this like effort to support um, food shortages and just to, you know, bolster food security in the U.S. at that time. So, um, you know, the history, like so much of the history in this country is, is tremendously messy. And what's often left out of that narrative is how um, Japanese internment camps kind of played a, a big role in that. And so, you know, in California, a lot of what was being produced at the time was being produced by Japanese Americans. And um, they were producing at, like about 9% of all strawberries, celery, and um, beets in the country. And so when, you know, Roosevelt kind of called to have all of these Japanese Americans, um, you know, rounded up and incarcerated and forcibly removed from their homes, the, the had to leave their farms. And so that contributed a lot to a lot of the food shortage issues that the country was already going to be facing. And so, um, you know, two thirds of, of the Japanese Americans were citizens, right? And so they were taken and they were put in these labor camps, um, totally against, right, our constitutional rights. And so it's just, it was, too closely tied to this very, very dark history um, in this country. And so that really um, was where the impetus was to change the name and then also to have it be more focused on the, the power of the people and, and the solidarity of folks coming together in community. And so this, the Cooperative Gardens Commission kind of is more reflective of that sentiment. Yeah, I definitely did not know that association before reading about it. Um, and thank you for, you know, um, being so transparent, you know, on your platforms talking about, you know, why you decided to make that change and educating everyone. Um, also, another idea kind of embedded in, in I guess, the concept of um, your name and your mission is food sovereignty. And I was just wondering if you could kind of like speak to like what that actually means and, and why it's really important as a concept. Yeah, so food sovereignty is the right of people to have healthy and culturally appropriate food that's produced in a sustainable uh, model. So it's focused on, you know, giving power to people within food systems, having things being as local as keep kept in local control as possible. And, you know, having folks rebuild relationships to, to each other, but also rebuild relationships to land. And so like, Cyrus. So, um, you know, currently our industrial agriculture system is very 
globalized and it's not focused on or or sub really supportive of small and mid-scale farmers and so food sovereignty is you know a movement that was really um kind of brought to the forefront by uh, a group called la via campesina and so they really advocate globally for um peasant farmers and it's also a movement that is you know very strongly fought for um and should be supported for indigenous people of of this of land of this land you know the right for them to grow have access to lands to their original lands and the right for them to grow food that is culturally relevant and historically significant to them mm -hmm. um so this this concept came out of what you know what is obvious um in terms of the moment that we're living in that there's a lot of anxiety because we we're hearing about you know grocery stores running out of food and you know certain products not being available um but we've also heard that there is food it's just that you know when everyone buys the same thing at the exact same time there's shortages so what is your sense i mean in terms of your relationships talking to farmers like how justified is this food supply anxiety and and what is the likelihood that the the supply chain will break down well, you know, I think um, I'm someone that's going to argue that the the supply chain and the food system was always broken. It doesn't take a, a pandemic to to kind of highlight the cracks and the fragility of the system and how it relies on uh, the most marginalized people to produce food, to harvest that food, but also marginalizes the farmers themselves. You know, um, margins are so thin and it's difficult for for people to sustain themselves so um there's you know if our borders are shut and you know who are the the skilled migrant workers you know who is going to replace them when it comes time to harvest the fields so um you know the, the majority of the fruits and vegetables that we eat are are harvested by people who are coming in um via migrant labor and it's also about you know how do you keep folks safe so um how are you able to operate and maintain production and harvesting and distribution and all of these you know all of these layers of the the supply chain when we also have to think about you know things like social distancing and, and maintaining health protocols so there's a real um you know it's a real time of of uncertainty and i think that that's not unfamiliar to a lot of folks working in production and farmers but you know even more so you know people are really feeling um this like this tremendous layer of of pressure and uncertainty and you know trying to to keep going despite that yeah i mean can you talk a little bit more about what's happening with farmers right now in terms of them kind of being on the front lines of of this crisis you know not quite in the same way that doctors are and and but but they are i mean you know without farmers there's no there's no food distribution there's no food so what are the kind of like specific risks that they're being asked to take right now and what are some of like the the restrictions and challenges that they're up against well the good thing is is that you know anything that's related to food production agriculture um is considered an essential business and so you know folks are still being tasked to do the work that they've been doing but a lot of them are doing it with maybe much limited staff 
you know, having to figure out transitions and work schedules so that, you know, maybe there's only one person in one office or space at a time. Um, and also thinking about things like, you know, hand washing and sanitizing and, you know, all of these, these um, added layers of precaution now that have to be involved. It's also, you know, thinking about if you think about market farmers or folks who sell directly to restaurants, you know, what's going to happen with their income and those contracts. And um, so it's, it's tough, but, you know, farming, growing your own food is a tremendous act of optimism. Um, and so a lot of folks in that, in the industry have always kind of worked in, in a kind of mutual aid network. And I think that what's beautiful is that we're seeing so much more of that happen now. Folks are helping to help them transition to um, digital platforms or online markets so that maybe they're doing CSA deliveries door to door to kind of minimize, you know, people to people contact and um, how to, you know, op safely deliver food, get to farmers markets and, and still be able to to sell their produce, but, you know, to do that in a way that is efficient given the circumstances that we're in. Yeah. I'm just curious, how are you getting your food? Because you live in a, an urban area. Yeah. So I uh, wake up super early to go to um, a grocery store and get things that I can't grow myself. I'm fortunate that where I live in Queens, I have a backyard um, and I'm still maintaining a garden that I built um, at another site. So I am able to grow um, a portion of, of what I'm eating, but I still do have to go out. And when I do go out, I have a, a thing of like Clorox wipes in my car and I wipe everything down before I even put it in my car. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, it's like this, uh, this it's, it's not a stressful thing. It's not, I'm sorry, well, it's become an incredibly stressful thing just to go grocery shopping. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what your role with um, the cooperative is? Because you are, you know, by trade, a, a seed saver and an educator. So what are you doing with um, cooperative gardens? Yeah, so I'm doing both. So <laughs> I'm on the seed distribution uh, working group, and I'm also on the education working group. And so in the education working group, we're kind of putting together, like I said, curating uh, curricula and videos and things that could help folks and thinking of, you know, do we want to create webinars? Do we want to create um, kind of Zoom calls for people to come in and meet around specified topics where, you know, different people with across the country have different areas of expertise. So like coming up with webinars or um, ways that we can connect with folks and share that expertise and also um, learn what kind of questions and challenges that they're facing as they're trying to grow their own food and help them with that. Also educating around, uh, you know, guidelines for health and safety. So for example, with seed distribution, um, when I'm packing up seeds, I have a face mask, I'm wearing gloves. When I deliver them to the post office, I'm wearing the same thing. And then I'm telling folks, when you get your package, you should probably let it sit for three days mm. um, before you open it, just to ensure that, you know, if there is something that, you know, may be carried on that package, it's, you know, we're kind of trying to minimize the risk as much as possible. Okay. So um, educating around things like that, too. Um, you know, how to work in community with other people 
you know, a lot of that is new. You know, we, we were in a time where a lot of people don't even talk to their neighbors. So, you know, trying to, you know, like I said, really like have a holistic approach to how to set people up for success and how to learn from one another. You know, we, we all have tremendous, um, you know, banks of knowledge. And, and when we get together, we can do a lot and we can share a lot. So really encouraging that as much as possible and encouraging folks to, to kind of educate themselves around the issues within the food systems that have always been there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is a great time for us to kind of look at marginalized groups, you know, BIPOC groups, queer groups, you know, folks who have worked in, in mutual aid capacities and solidarities out of necessity and stand in solidarity with them and really, you know, demand something better. We shouldn't, um, we shouldn't let this experience, you know, it can't go back to the way that it was. And I think that if we spend some time really learning what are the deeper issues there from top to bottom, you know, it's such a, a messy, messy situation that um, that's ultimately going to help us all as we kind of look to, you know, a brighter future. So educating around that and within seed distribution, I'm kind of acting as a regional network person within the Northeast to get seed out to folks. So like, for example, this morning, I sent out some packages uh, as far as Chicago. So, um, you know, folks are filling out the seed request form on the Reclaim Seed NYC uh, website. And they fill out a request and I try to pack up you know, if I, if the seed library has, you know, what they're looking for, pack that up for them and get them out, ship things out on a weekly basis. So seed distribution has been kind of key in this because a lot of seed companies in the U.S. are all experiencing tremendous um, increase in volume and orders and web activities. And, and many of them have had to shut down their websites because they just can't, they're not operating at the same capacity, so they can't fill orders in the time that they're getting them. So, you know, seed distribution, we're thinking about how do we have a central hub of receiving um, bulk seed, and then how do we have these regional networks of of dispersion so that we can actually get the seed to people who can grow it and keep regional seed within regions, right? So things that are going to grow, have been grown in the Northeast and will grow well in the Northeast can stay in the Northeast, you know, to go out to folks who who are trying to grow food at home. Yeah, there's there's so much education around that, and so um, so many issues. And you came and did a a program at MoFAD about seeds, and it was just it was so eye opening because I've always thought of you know someone as myself as someone who like doesn't have as much of a disconnect thinking about like what I eat and where that comes from because I work in food and like have food education, but then taking it down to like that level of like even thinking about the seeds before the seeds even become food was so eye opening to me. And just thinking about like the regionality and why that even matters. And like when someone's asking for seeds, it's probably not even something that, you know, they would think of in terms of like you having to find the right supply um, and be able to get. So, yeah, I guess my question is um, where are all the seeds coming from? (laughs) Yeah, so uh, the seeds in the seed library, you know, I've been getting seeds to people for two years now. I think it's just been an, an uptick in in the response to what's happening that I'm just doing it much more frequently and doing it in this no contact way. So I have a no, I have a bin on my stoop that is kind of, um, that's secure and I'll put orders in there that people can pick up throughout the day. And then I'm also mailing things. And so the seeds in the seed library 
came from a couple of, um, you know, regional seed companies that donated to kind of establish the seed library. So True Love Seeds out of Philly, Hudson Valley Seed Company, Fedco, Johnny's, um, Seed Savers Exchange. And then it also came from things that I was growing and saving seed from year from year. And, you know, seeds have a funny way of finding them their their way to me and so I was started getting things in the mail um you know things from other seed savers you know, things from seed swaps and and so also things that people have grown out and returned to the library so you know the seed library is a community sustained resource of seed and it requires community participation and so with the co-op gardens movement you know, I'm getting seed out to folks, understanding that, you know, saving for a first-time gardener, saving seed might not be something that maybe they feel they comfortable taking on. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I definitely um, encourage as much as possible and teach folks, you know, how to save seed, even if it's just from one thing, you know, a, a dry bean. Let that, let those, uh, one plant, just let it dry and get nice and crunchy and then save those seeds. And um, that, those are seeds that you can plant the following season. Yes. So, you know, that's really at the essence of, of this, like, resiliency movement and this, this movement of people wanting to be more self-sufficient and um, have more control over, over food production and where their food's coming from. Yeah. Um, you've mentioned the working groups a few times. I know you said you were doing the education and the seed saving. What are some of the other working groups that are part of the movement? Yeah, so there's an outreach working group that um, tries to get, um, you know, more folks involved and, and to kind of get uh, messaging out. There's a media relations working group. There's a design and messaging group, education, fundraising, herbalism, you know, folks that have experience and expertise in, make, in plant medicines and, and trying to work you know, there's a lot of intersectionality. So like working with the education working group and, and trying to get and disseminate that information. Um, there's the seed distribution group that I mentioned before, a policy group who's trying to look at things like I mentioned before, maybe HOA restrictions or town restrictions and, and supporting folks around how do you advocate and um, try to work at that level to make growing your own food easier because, you know, I'm very lucky in New York City, you know, we have access to community gardens and backyard gardens, but you know, that's not the case across the country. So um, working at a policy level, not just for uh, growing your own food, but also trying to get access to maybe land that is not in current food production that folks maybe want to come together in a community and start to work on that uh, to get that land into food production. So helping with policy at that level. Um, and then also there's a work and livelihoods working group. And so that kind of came from people thinking about, um, you know, public health and all of these other issues, you know, restaurant workers, farm workers, all people who have now, <coughs> excuse me, all found themselves, you know, unemployed, you know, folks who want to help, who want to act, but don't necessarily know, you know, what their entry point is into doing that. Mm -hmm. And so that that group is really trying to think about, you know, how do we do that? How do we help folks? How do we, if we can connect, um, you know, people who have food trucks to maybe, um, you know, producing food for healthcare workers, um, etc. So, so those are the different groups that are kind of involved. Um, and the groups have about like, I think they average about 10 people per group. Mm -hmm. 
So if someone wanted to get involved at this point, they wouldn't necessarily have to have farming or growing experience. There's there's a group to kind of fit any sort of skill set. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you know how to build a website, you know, you know how to do graphic design. I mean, there, there's absolutely something for everyone. And what we're also trying to do is to develop a lot of what is nostalgic about the Victory Gardens movement was all of the artwork and all of the, the propaganda campa- campaigns that were put out there that produced, you know, very beautiful um, depictions of what it is to grow food. And, and they were very laced with like these themes of, of patriotism and et cetera. But they were also very, um, you know, it, it serves a single story narrative, right? And so what we want to see more is is messaging and representation and artwork that really is reflective of the diversity mm-hmm. of the country and also the expertise that's coming with um, growing your own food. Yeah. Um, so what are some of the long-term goals? And you kind of touched on this, but how, how do you as a movement, um, how, what is sort of the plan as far as like addressing issues in the current crisis? Like, bigotry, discrimination, um, food insecurity, what's, how is, how is the, the messaging going to be public facing in terms of you kind of taking this on as, as a cooperative? I think, uh, you know, I think it's piece by piece. I think that in addition to us also, uh, trying to just figure that out internally, it's, it's also that, you know, we're all coming from this background of addressing those issues in, in the day-to-day of our work, um, you know, at least the majority of us. So it's definitely something that um, we're thinking of as we think of like long-term goals and, and, you know, when the dust settles, what is it that we want to see and how do we want people to, to be involved in, in really, you know, demanding something better of our food system and food production in this country. Um, so, you know, it's, I think every group is kind of thinking about that within the context of what they're trying to work on. So I can, I know that for education, for example, things that we're thinking about are, you know, providing resources that are um, in languages other than English, um, providing resources for folks and thinking about folks who maybe don't have, you know, internet capabilities, right? So thinking about how do we um, support people in those ways. Um, and then also thinking about with seed distribution, you know, how are you responding to the cultural, um, needs of folks, right? Cause people want to grow the food that they eat. They want to grow the food that they see the, their cultures reflected in. Right. And that's important to everyone. So, um, how useful is it going to be for me to just ship out kale seed across the Northeast? You know, some people may love that. Other people may be like, what is this? So like, you know, trying to get, you know, connect seeds um, and those food crops with the people who, who um, really want to grow and eat those, those things. Mm -hmm. Um, So who, who should get involved? What kind of people should sign up to participate? Yeah, I mean, anyone can get involved. If you're someone that feels like you have a resource to give, so maybe that resource is, um, you know, uh, technical expertise in, like I said, you know, anything from web design to uh, graphic design to plant breeding, um, you know, whatever you feel like maybe you could give or how you could be of service to another person is... um, you can sign up and on the form 
you know, you're going to be prompted to, you know, what is that thing that you may be able to give? Is it seed? Is it, uh, you know, seed packs? Is it soil? Is it, you know, some kind of maybe physical resource? Um, is it funds? You know, there, I mean, there are a lot of ways that um, people have been, you know, so generous and, and how they've been kind of giving up their time to support the effort. But also if you're someone who, you know, has zero experience gardening and wants to learn how to grow your own food, you can sign up and you can um, put that out there, right? And request and say, hey, you know what? I have this amount of space. I've never done this before. I want to know what my first step should be. And so what we're trying to do is really uh, be this um, this network connector of need and resource. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, in addition to those ways that you just mentioned of getting specifically involved, what are kind of the best ways to just be helpful and supportive from a more like outside perspective? Yeah. So if you're on, um, on Instagram, there's a, we, there's an account now at co-op gardens. And so, you know, if you, if some folks just want to share and use the hashtag and raise the, uh, raise the profile of the, um, of the initiative and the movement to get other people involved. Um, that's one way to do it. Um, right now, like I said, I'm so doing, um, seed distributions. So, you know, we're also trying to get the word out about that. If there's someone that, you know, that, you know, does want seed and maybe want to try to order something online, but a website was down, you know, they can get in touch and and we can get that shipped out to them. So yeah, it'd be helpful just to like talk to someone else about it and, and raise and elevate. (coughs) excuse me, the work that way. Cool. Um, well, I'll let you go. It sounds like, you know, you've been talking a lot. <laughs> I'll give you a break. <laughs> um, but Jacqueline, thank you so, so much. It was so, as always, just like wonderful. You're so thoughtful and articulate and it's always great to hear. And I always, you know, learn from you when I hear you speak. So thank okay. you so much for taking time and just tell us the website and, you know, just how to keep in touch. Yeah, so the website is um, coopgardens.org. It's also at coopgardens on Instagram. And if they want to do, if anyone out there wants seeds and wants to do a seed uh, request, you can do that at Reclaim Seed NYC. Perfect. Okay. Thank you, Jacqueline. Thank you. Take okay. care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends. And please, join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. This program is powered by Simplecast. 